Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. We are going into Revelation chapter 2 today as we go through our end times prophecy, making sense of this crazy world series. And we're on today, we're on Ephesus, a New Testament church. Ephesus, a New Testament church, Revelation 2, 1 to 7. Often I hear people say, I just wish God would send me a letter, an email, a text. <laughs> Tell me what to do. Who should I marry? What job should I take? I have big decisions to make. If God would just text me or email me, right? Um, Snapchat. <laughs> Imagine if he really did send us a personal communication to us as an individual or to our church or to our family or to our country. What if he really did send us that kind of message? What would he say? What would he say? You're doing well. What would he say? Mm -mm, not too good. What would he warn us against? What would he, how would he encourage us? What would he say to us? Think of our lives. What would he say to each of us? He has. He has sent that exact kind of communication to us in Revelation 2 and chapter 3. Chapters 2 and 3, he wrote a letter to seven churches. Now, these are seven actual churches in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, I'll show you the map probably right here. I have it over here. The map, you see the seven churches starting with Ephesus go clockwise all the way around to Laodicea. We've talked about this before, but you have these seven churches, okay? And this is who he sends these seven letters to in the book of Revelation. What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with us today? Everything, because these seven churches were prophetically picked by the Holy Spirit. Not because they were famous, not because they were mega churches, not because they were on TV, uh, because they were prophetically picked. These God, God picked these seven churches because there was something in each of these seven churches that was applicable to all churches universally, not just back in this time, New Testament times, but all the way up, all throughout history, all the way to today. And we'll see that these seven churches have a lot to say to, to the church in the USA today, a lot to say to our church, New Hope Community Church, or whatever church you're part of, a lot to say, to, and, and also to each one of us individually. We'll also see that each were prophetically picked for, in, in another way. They each represent seven historical phases in church history, starting with the New Testament and all the way till today, which you see where we are today. They were each picked uh, uh, prophetically for seven historical phases. In fact, once again, over here, we have, the, uh, have a, a chart, the seven different churches that we're going to be talking about, and each of them stand for something different, as we'll talk about here with, with Ephesus. First of all, we are looking at a look at Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and this is the apostolic age, historical, prophetic, historical time phase is the apostolic age, 33 AD to 100 AD. It's the same time that this was actually written, but it also fits the New Testament church phase of history. Wait till you see where we are today, the USA today, the church today. You're not going to like it. Look at the chart, the seven, the seven phases of church history. You can peek down ahead and see what it stands for. But let's pray first. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your word to us, your communication to us, and pray that your Holy Spirit would apply it to each of our lives and each of our churches and to the church in the USA today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Revelation 2, 1 to 7, and it's a letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus means desirable. If you saw the chart there, it means desirable. It's a picture of the apostolic church, 33 AD to 100 AD. And let's pick it up here with the, uh, Revelation, Revelation 2, and we're going to read the first seven verses, which is God's letter to the, the, the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have 
this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. The paradise of God. And so Ephesus, once again, we, we see that it represents the apostolic church. Now, the first letter ever written to the, the church in Ephesus was the book of Ephesians, written by Paul. And we actually did an Ephesians ser- series some years ago here at New Hope Community Church. And we saw there were lots of parallels with New Hope. Because uh, as we'll see with Ephesus, uh, New Hope it was, it was the occult center of the Northeast. It no longer is. I don't believe it is any longer. Thankful for that. Hoping our prayers had some impact on that. But there's still lots of other issues here <laughs> spiritually. But uh, the, the Ephesians, back to Ephesus, um, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the letter to them. The, the, the church in Ephesus was established by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary trip. It was John the Apostle's home church. He is actually buried there, believed to be buried there. Um, we see. I'm going to show you a couple pictures. The first picture that you're going to see over here is a picture of Ephesus. Beautiful, beautiful area. It was the most important political commercial city in Asia Minor, the Roman province of Asia Minor. It had an excellent harbor and it was at the crossroads. Think New York City. All right, that's why New York City became so big. Okay, so once again, you see the first picture of Ephesus. Okay, right over here. The second picture, the second picture is, a temp, is the picture of the Temple of Artemis. Artemis, which, which is what the Greeks called her, the Romans called her Diana. Okay, you're named Diana. You're named after this goddess. Anyway, uh, Di- the, um, the Romans called her Diana. The Greeks called her Artemis. It was a religious center too. Sorry if I upset anybody called Diane. I uh, didn't want to upset you, but uh, that's where the name came from. Anyway, the religious center too. Uh, it was a very, very big religious center, not just the economic and political center, but religious. The temple to Artemis was the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Click over on the right hand side here. You can see just one pole sticking out of the ground. That's all that's left of this temple. This uh, this temple to Diana, Artemis, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an amazing, amazing temple, 425 feet by 225 feet, 120 columns, which were 60 feet high. There's only one left now, as you can see, just the one column left. She was the bee goddess, the bee goddess. Uh, those who keep bees, uh, Bob, uh, I know you like the bees. Uh, this is, this is the goddess of the bees, which was fertility. It stood for fertility. The idol of, of Diana supposedly fell from heaven. Fell from heaven. And, uh, and, and it was an ugly idol. She was ugly. Think Buddha with lots of breasts. Alright? A Buddha with lots of breasts. That's a picture of the, what this idol looked like. And she had thousands of priests and priestess inside of this temple. And they really were just temple prostitutes. Because people would come in order to connect with, with the, the, the goddess uh, Artemis. They would have sex with, with the, the male prostitute or the female prostitute. And that was a picture of them. They were actually communing with the goddess uh, by having sex with this prostitute in the temple and as a result of doing this and giving that prostitute money for the temple they would be guaranteed that she would give them money or she would bless them in some way or or give them children she was a goddess of fertility and the temple became so rich everybody came to worship (laughs) the orgy uh, the, the the worshipful orgy here in the temple the temple became so rich that it became the bank of asia the Bank of Asia. It also became an asylum for criminals. They were protected if they went to this temple. They were given protection. They would live there and they would stay there until they went off the most wanted list. They were safe to get up to leave. You can imagine what it was like in this temple. And the result of the whole city was a depraved city. Acts 19, we see that the, the, that, uh, the, the, Demons were cast out of this girl. Remember, the demons were cast out of a girl there. There were a lot of demonic possessions. And then they burned the the occult 
materials which added up to incredible amounts of money. Everybody had occult materials which they would do demonic practices with. And, they, and that, that caused a riot because they thought Artemis was threatened. The cash cow, literally cow, think a cow, uh, uh, threatened. And so they started chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You think we have lots of riots now? They had a big riot there. Uh, rocked the whole town of Ephesus. Uh, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. And what is left of this great goddess? One column. Look to my, just that one column sticking out of there. That's, God left one pole sticking out of the ground today to show them all that's left of the goddess Artemis or Diana. Okay? Also, another picture. It had one of the world's best libraries to store all their wisdom in the book form. So you see this huge library and it was one of the best libraries as far as structure and, and volume of books but it had all their wisdom. It's all gone now. Um, also picture number four is the Agora Market. It was the Wall Street of its day. The Wall Street of its day. It's very possible that Paul and also Priscilla and Aquila ran their tent making businesses here in this market. You can see a lot still left of it. Very impressive, right? Uh, what sh is still showing here. And, and also, not only was that there, but picture number five is the theater, the amphitheater. 25,000 seats. Back then, that was a lot of seats. They had the circus there. They had the races there, the chariot races there. And later, they had the gladiators. Yes, sir. Russell Crowe fought in the spirit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the gladiators fought there. Acts 19, when Paul, Paul's assistants, during the riot, Paul, Paul, they hid Paul away, but his assistants were dragged to this amphitheater and they were, they were held the court there to accuse them. That was the same amphitheater. Very amazing structure that it's still there. Very, very impressive that it's even still there. Now, now for the letter to the Ephesus. Each letter to the seven churches contains the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. Think of a boss. Your boss calls you in for your review. There's the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. Same thing with a coach. Same thing with parents when they get out your report card. You know, they look at it and, and there's good, bad, warnings, and encouragements, right? This is the picture here. And the good is verses 2 to 3. In verses 2 to 3, we see the good. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Good news. There's lots to commend. With This is one of the best ones. Once again, it's the apostolic New Testament church. That church was on fire uh, uh, not just spiritually, but physically, a lot of them were burned up. But it was a, a great church, a great church in a bad place. A great church in a bad place. The New Testament church was super. The church in Ephesus, super. And yet it was in a very tough, dangerous place. Once again, uh, when I talked to our folks about where we are in New Hope, uh, it was considered um, the, the, the occult, when we first started 20 years ago, the occult center of the Northeast. And it was also called the Sodom and Gomorrah of Pennsylvania. Still called that. That part has gotten even worse here. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, not, but I've always encouraged our folks, listen, yeah, I know we're battling it out here, but we're, we're a solid church in, in a, a very tough place. In fact, the last, the last uh, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church here, uh, we've seen a lot happen over the years. There's some other churches, but as far as an evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, last one here. Uh, okay, so, um, good news, lots of good news. So first of all, the deeds. He said, I know your deeds, what we call good works. Good works, that's very important. Now, we know we're saved by faith. And not by good works, but good works are important. We're saved by faith, but works show that our faith is real. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. Uh, no, it's by... I'm, I something. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. I'm going to have to read it. Uh, don't, don't, don't get older. Don't get older. Don't get older. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians 2... Eight, nine, for it is by grace you are saved through faith, and this for yourselves it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Um, I'm going to read it anyway. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not for yourselves. I did have it. This not for yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he says we're saved by faith, not by works at all. Saved by putting our faith in God's grace, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And yet, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are saved to do good works. Good works don't save us, but they sh- that's why we were saved. So we would do them. And that also shows that our faith is real. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Always do all three together. They're very, very important, okay? We're saved by faith, but works show that our faith is real. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. The word there for hard work means laborious toil to the point of exhaustion. Working so hard that you're exhausted. Are you doing that spiritually? A lot of us do that for our sport. We do it for our work job. But do we do it spiritually? Work to the point of exhaustion? There was no 2080 problem here in the book in the church of Ephesus. Everybody was working hard. There wasn't just 20 people doing 80% of the work like most churches in our culture. He said your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, he says. The, the word perseverance means patient and endurance under pressure patient endurance under pressure this is the same place x19 where they they were in in the middle of a riot remember i already mentioned that they were in the middle of a riot Uh, then in first corinthians 16 8 and 9 in first corinthians 16 8 9 paul talking about this and he says uh paul's talking writing a letter to the corinthians and he says to them but i will stand on at Ephesus. Remember, he established this. But I will stand at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. He says, a great open door is open. I've got it established in the church of, of Ephesus and yet there are many who oppose me. It was a tough place to do ministry. And here we are 40 years later. The Apostle John is writing the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And he's writing this 40 years after Paul. And there's still a lot of pressure. They're still under intense pressure. But it says they, in verse 3, in Revelation 2, it says, they persevered and endured hardship. They did not get weary. This is the New Testament church. Persevered, endured hardship, not growing weary. This is the New Testament church that is being persecuted. It's a picture that went through intense persecution. The whole 70 year period of the New Testament church, intense persecution. He also says, John, I'm sorry, Jesus is also talking to them, and the Apostle John records what he says. He says, they won't, you won't tolerate false apostles. You have tested them. This is vital because already in the New Testament church, Satan was already trying to counterfeit. He was already trying to poison the church. We see this from church history and in the God's Word over and over again. That the first, second, and third John, the letters were written warning them what was going on. He was already trying to poison the church and it's vital to test Vital to test these apostles to see if they're real or not. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 says this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So, there's two mistakes we make. First of all, we treat prophecies with, with contempt. The second thing we do is we don't test. We don't test. Test everything, Paul says here. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So we can avoid, we can ignore prophecy, but we can also fail to test it. And it's vital. I see this so often. I see both things happen in the church today. But so often in these prophetic ministries, they don't test. They don't test. They never test the prophecies. And so, and, and many that they, they, very rare to test them, but they give these prophecies that never happen. They're false prophecies. If they give a prophecy that doesn't happen, that's a false prophecy from a false prophet. The Bible says one time, false. They're done. Just cross them off the list. And and I saw one of these, one of the most popular ones speaking. I can't remember his name now. It's probably better I don't say his name. But he was giving a, a talk on a video recently. And I was watching, trying to test this guy. Real popular, huge church. Gives all kinds of prophecies. And he said, I'm about 50%. 
Some days I'm just off. I just miss it. It's no big deal. I'm 50%. Because it does, you know, if you get 50%, you're doing a pretty good job. I could guess 50%. You know, (laughs) false prophet. False prophet with this huge following. Unbelievable, right? Uh, and, and, And the reason this is critical is because we have to not let false prophets, false teaching permeate the church. And the reason it's so critical is because false teachers come from within. They come from inside the church. That's why they're so dangerous. Here in New Hope, we've had many outward attacks on our church. All kinds of attacks, outward attacks. We had policemen in the service for the first three months of our, our service. 20 years ago, we were all kinds of attacks, TV stations, newspaper, people threatening to beat me up, people threatening all kinds kinds of crazy things trying to trying to teach me tolerance and and we had all this going on and uh and but we we're getting hit all the time but that wasn't the most dangerous thing because we were we expected attacks from the outside and i remember saying to people and i remember saying to my pastor friends my friends who were pastors i remember saying new hope is just 20 years ahead of the rest of the country we're just showing you what it's going to be like in 20 years. In 20 years, the whole country's going to be like this. I told pastor after pastor, they all kind of rolled their eyes and didn't believe me. And look, here we are, 20 years later. It's happening. We're seeing it everywhere. Christians and churches being attacked constantly. The name of Jesus being mocked constantly. We just experienced it 20 years ahead. Now the whole the whole church is experiencing it. My pastor friends are not rolling their eyes anymore. <laughs> they're not rolling their eyes. Uh, they're seeing that it's true and uh and but the outward attacks we expected them but you know what was really dangerous we had several individuals that tried to attack from within that they claimed to be christian and and but there was strongholds demonic strongholds in their life and they tried to destroy our church over the years we've had several real attacks on this church and we knew right away first one happened within a year of us getting started it was it was more dangerous almost knocked our church out in the first year. Far more dangerous than the outward attacks was the inward attack. And that's the problem. We've experienced several phases of that, several very serious attacks that by God's grace we exposed and in church discipline and, and the demons ran for the hills, you know? And so uh, that, that, that's why I'm constantly warning people it comes from inside. That's what you have to be far more careful of. In fact, in Acts 28, in Acts 28, where we see that the, um, the apostle, um, I'm going to have to turn to it. Acts 28, we see that Paul is warning the church in Ephesus. It's his final farewell address to the church in Ephesus. And, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts 28. And he's giving them a warning. And listen to what he says. This talks about why it's so important, the attacks that come from him, why it's so important to test. So I went to 28. Acts uh, I got mixed up on one of them. Oh, Acts 20, Acts 20, verse 28. That's what messed me up. Acts 20, chapter 20, verse 28. Don't get old. Don't get old. All right. Uh, he says, this is Paul warning them, talking to the Ephesian elders. And listen to what he says to them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the church of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Here we go. Even from your own number, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for night, remember that for three years I never stopped warning you each night and day. Never stop warning each of you night and day with tears. Don't get old. Never stop warning each of you night and day with tears. And he's saying even from your own number. And that's the dangerous part. It wasn't warning about what's going to hit them from the outside. Their new persecution was coming. He warned them about a false teachers, the savage wolves, the false apostles trying to draw people away from the true church. And he he warned them for three years, night and day. That's who he warned them against. Very, very serious. That's why I'm constantly warning people in our church. And I warn you uh, on on these, these sermons. Be careful what you read who you listen to, who you watch, who you go go here, because a lot of these guys are false 
teachers. They're false apostles. They're spiritual cancers in the church. They're toxic. There's so many of these new trends they, or these new interpretations or these new teachings or these new movements. And it's always something new. Uh, that, and, and, and you have, it's, oh, it's okay God does something new. We love that. But these new teachings, you have to filter them all through the Word of God. The Word of God. I see people running after these things. They come back all wounded and confused because they didn't filter it through the Word of God. False teachers have a huge impact on churches and on the church. And and I'm talking about the functional false teachers too. The ones who are evangelicals who, who don't say anything wrong. They just don't preach the whole word. They, they, they preach a Swiss cheese Bible. They're Thomas Jefferson seminarians. They just, they just cut out what they don't. They just won't preach anything that might offend people in their church. And so they end up with, with, with a bunch of mice in their church because they're handing out Swiss cheese. You know, they're, they, they're, they're rats, these guys. And, and they're functional false teachers, but there's so many that are false teachers that overtly are false teachers. People like Joel. Olstein and, and these health wealth teachers and these woke pastors that are conforming to the world into to so, putting social justice over biblical justice. There was a I'll give you an example. There's a mega church here's the headline. Mega church pastor. Abortion is consistent with Christianity and I will fight to keep it legal. Here's a woke pastor. This is what I'm talking about. Social justice over biblical justice. And let me just read uh, Raphael Warnock, senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta and a Democratic candidate made these comments to a radio host recently. I believe that health care is a human right. This is a pastor. Uh, uh, is a human right, says Warnock, who has served as senior pastor of the church since 2005. These people, what are they sitting under this? They're sitting under a false teacher. Get out of there, people. And he says, I believe that it's something that the richest nation in the world provides for its citizens. And for me, reproductive justice is consistent with my commitment to that. See what I mean? Social justice, counterfeit. Not biblical, biblical justice rejects the social justice movement because it's counterfeit. I believe unequivocally in a woman's right to choose to kill a baby, and the decision is something that we don't want government engaged in. That's between her, her doctor, and her minister. Yeah, if you're a false minister. And I will fight for that in the United States Senate. That is consistent with my view as a Christian minister, and I will fight for it. And the radio host, who I think was a Christian, said, do you think it's consistent with God's view? Your view, is it consistent with God's view that God endorses the millions of abortions we've had in this country since Roe versus Wade? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this guy, Bryant was his name, who checked this guy. Ebenezer Baptist, Ebenezer, or Ebenezer Baptist has more than 6,000 members and is affiliated with the Progressive National Baptist Convention. That's the false Teaching National Baptist Convention. Thank God for courageous men who take a stand, this, the radio commentator, and also former NFL coach Tony Junji responded to this guy. Thank you, Tony. He says, when you say a minister, does that mean they represent a church? I'd like to know what book the candidate uses as their foundation for truth and their guiding principles. It couldn't be the Bible. <laughs> thank you, Tony Dungy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is what I'm talking about. The, the danger that comes from within. This is the danger that comes from within. It, it's these, these false teachers. It's these Christian colleges that once were solid, solid Christian colleges, but now they're, they're their professors are poisoning their students. I'm so tempted to name them. Uh, email me. I'll tell you. Uh, it's so tempting. But when I warn parents and the kids all the time, don't, don't go to that college. Or if you do, be on your guard because they claim to be Christian, but they're going to tell you that the Bible's not the Word of God. And they're going to going to try to undermine your faith. They're going to attack the, the, the words of Jesus. They're going to preach social justice instead of Biblical justice at this school. I know they used to be solid. I know parents, when you went there, they were solid, but they're not anymore. They're apostate. And, and you know what happens? Parents said, thank you so much, Pastor Chuck, for warning me. 
I really appreciate that warning, and we're going to take that to heart. And if we do send our care, we're going to warn our child. No, they get mad at me. They leave. I, they leave the church. They stop talking to me. They're, they, instead of getting mad at the school, which is false, they get mad at me. And I could tell you the stories I've seen. Then, then they send their kids without any kind of warning, and their kids lose their faith. Or their, their kids are at schools where they, they have radical agendas now. And I've seen the proof of it when their kids were there. And I'm sure their kids saw the rocks painted with all kinds of wacky, sinful slogans on the, the rock of their schools. I, I, I've seen the pictures. It's crazy. They get, mad at, they get mad at me and leave the church when they should be upset with the school. Schools, and at least they should warn their kids. They should monitor them. So many sad stories. Can you tell them how frustrated with that? Anyway, uh, th- so this is the good. This is the good. Uh, I don't know why this is ringing. I shut it off. But anyway, um, just ignore the ringing. Spam call. Okay, so um, the what the. Okay, got rid of it that time. All right, said spam. Anyway, uh, the good, the good are the, the deeds, the work, the perseverance. They test the false teachers, but now we come to the bad, the warning and an encouragement. The bad news is in ver- back to, to Revelation two verse four. We we see the the bad news. Yet I hold this against you. Great church, but still hold something against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. They left their first love. The first negative mention in the seven churches is first on God's list for what upsets Him. Even this church is that they left their first love. Now, remember, this is a great church. Paul the Apostle established, planted it. John the, John the Apostle was an elder at this church. This is a New Testament church, represents a New Testament church. What does this tell us? It could happen to any church. It could happen to any person. It reminds us what often happens in a marriage. It starts out in love, you know, and then you get busy and you slowly drift apart and pretty soon there's no more love in that, that marriage. The honeymoon is replaced by the honey-do list. Uh, that's why I encourage everybody to go to marriage conferences. You know, the, the Family Life Today marriage conferences, get reconnected. But that same idea of what happens to a marriage can happen to our love relationship with Jesus. It can happen to our Christian faith. That's what happened to the love relationship that, uh, relationship of the Ephesian church with Jesus Christ. It cooled off. And notice I said the love relationship. That's what Christianity really is. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. So many people are part of Christian religion trying to do certain things, jump through all these spiritual hoops. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's one that we are saved by faith and it's all based on love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love sent His Son Jesus to die for us on the cross so that we could have real life now and forever if we will believe in Him, put our faith in Him. I'm going to give you a chance to do that at the end. Don't just hang on here. And that's what often happens though is our our love life, our love for God cools off. We still love God, but it has cooled off. We're still serving Him, but we're serving Him out of duty. We're just going through the motions instead of because of our intense love that we have. It's so subtle, isn't it? It, it, it happens so it's so the shift is so hard to detect we often can't see it until it's too late and it happens to all of us we are our, our, a church a church is on fire for Jesus it, and, it, and God is blessing it and it's growing because of the love that they have for Jesus and then they they build a building or they build a build, bigger building and then the focus becomes the church building and what you need to do for that in that church building instead of our relationship with Jesus Christ and it carries on over into our love for others because we we get inward focused we get inward focused and we and and, and we we don't aren't focused on people anymore I remember when our church was starting out after a couple of years we were in the school and we had a chance to buy a building and move into the building we moved in for a, a, like 
six months and we saw something happen. Instead of being outward focused on people, we saw in that short time we became inward focused. We were focused on the building and the ministries of the building and, and maintaining what we had instead of reaching out. And, and I remember we all kind of said, this isn't working, is it? And we, we decided not to move forward with buying a building. We decided to go back to the school. And thank God the school's been just wonderful to us. Uh, New Hope Sobery High School, just been tremendous to us. Although we can't meet there now, obviously because of the coronavirus. We, but, uh, but thank God uh, another church, uh, St. Martin's, opened their doors to us. And uh, they have a school on their property. They're going to let us use their school on Sunday. So we really appreciate that. But... But we had become inward focused that quickly. And that's what happens. We start to focus on our building and maintaining our ministries instead of our, our love relationship with God. That's what happens. It happens to us. Um, it, it, and it, it's slow, but Jesus gives the cure for the cold heart. He gives the cure when he gives us a warning. Verse 5, Revelation 2, 5. Remember, remember the height from which you have fallen repent. Remember and repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So, he, he gives a warning and there's three R's. He says, remember. Remember. Remember when you first put your faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that? How excited you were? Remember your baptism? Oh, it was an awesome time when you were baptized. If you haven't been baptized, see me. We'll get you baptized. Uh, remember that retreat you went on and you were on fire for two days and all you could think about was Jesus and, and you felt so close to Him. Remember you that, that time you experienced revival in your life and you were so close to Jesus and the Holy Spirit was just filling you. Remember the peace and the joy and the fruit and the evangel. You just couldn't wait to share share Jesus witnessing to others. that Remember what it was like before anything could distract you. Remember that? Before anything could distract you, the TV and the phone and the computer, nothing could, re, could, to, could get you, all right? Remember that? Or a lot of, I, I even see it when teens come back from retreats. Nobody in my house. But teens come back and they're all excited. No more cell phone. You know, go only five minutes a day or no more TV or no more distractions. But all of a sudden, a week later... <laughs> Can't even talk to them. They're on the phone, right? Uh, and, and that's what happens with us spiritually. We, we, we get distracted. We get focused on something else. And, and Jesus says here, remember. Then he says, also, not just remember, but repent. Change, the repent is a change of mind and attitude shown by actions. Shown by actions. And then he says, return. Do the things you used to do. Just like with a marriage. you got to remember, go on these weekends away and you're, you start to do the things you used to do when you showed love to your wife or to your husband, right? And, and, that's, and if you don't do those things, remember, repent, return. That's very important to get our love relationship back again. He says, if you don't return to them, the fourth R is that God, remember the... Um, Verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the, your lampstand from its place. Removing the lampstand. That's the warning. Is the lampstand will be removed. Okay? Uh, this They knew, when they read this, they knew exactly what he was talking about when he said your lampstand is going to be removed. They knew exactly what this meant because 70 AD was still fresh in their memory. Still fresh in their memory. This is 30 years later. Still fresh in their memory. What happened to the lampstands in the temple? This is what happened to the lampstands in the temple. And this is a picture, a visible picture of what Jesus' warning will happen to each of these seven churches as He warns them. In 70 AD, the temple... Uh, the temple of Jupiter was rebuilt by the new emperor Vespasian. Uh, in 70 AD, his son Titus crushed the Jews, crushed the Jews and secured large part of the Middle East for Rome. He was given a triumph jointly with his father in Rome. This is 70 AD, just 30 years before this, uh, before what we're reading here. Uh, happened in Revelation. He came in with wagons loaded with the treasures stolen from Jerusalem, including the great seven-branched candelabra of the temple. The seven... The temple had a candelabra, seven candles, seven fires on those candles, seven churches, 
seven lampstands. It's all connected. It's all connected here. And he, he brought this great seven-branched candelabra from the temple. It was removed from the temple. And he also took the captives with him. The Jewish leader who had, had fought against the Romans, Simon Bargorius, was flogged through the streets of Rome and then executed as the triumphal procession ended. A stone arch was erected. The Arch of Titus still stands in Rome today. Still stands in Rome. And this is... a Prophetic, still there, still a warning, still showing that the, 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 the warning to not just the Jews and the temple, but a warning to the church, the seven churches prophetically here. And, and notice Rome is always against God. It's always against God's people. It, it removed the Jews uh, from Israel at that time, although they're back again. We see they attacked the Christians. The Rome was the, the persecutor of the Christians. And in time, it, it, uh, it, 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 it uh, attacked the church. It attacked the church by, by sneaking its way in and, and bringing a lot of the Roman practices into God's holy church. Uh, and it also in the book of Revelation, we see Rome attacking the church once again. The revived Roman Empire is going to lead the persecution. Connect the dots. Connect all the dots. I'm, I'm not, notice what I'm not saying. Connect the dots. There's some, some things to pay attention to here, okay? And so the warning is he's going to remove the lampstand. And they had already freshened their memory 30 years ago. This was 9-11 for them. You know, this was, this was uh, the coronavirus for them. This is something, this was Pearl Harbor. This is something they hadn't forgotten. And, and this is a warning not just to them, the seven churches, but every one of us. Every church, every denomination, every movement that loses its first love dies. The candle is removed. And a good thermometer if we're, to show that we're losing our, our love of Jesus is our evangelistic zeal. You can trace through history every time a church or an association or a denomination or a movement loses its evangelistic zeal, that's tied to losing its love, first love for Jesus. And when that happens, it dies. You can trace it to churches. Every church has a life cycle of birth, of growth, of blessing, and then slow decline and death. And you can trace that cycle to the same thing that it loses its evangelistic zeal, its love for Jesus. Jesus. You can do it with a denomination too. The, the United Methodist Church, the Methodist were once the most on fire denomination in the U.S. All of us have, can trace our spiritual roots to the Methodist revivals and the evangelism that spread to the United States and now it's a shell of itself. There's very few United Methodist churches that even preach the Bible anymore. There's still a few faithful ones. God bless them. There's a revival movement. They're actually breaking apart from the, the, the Methodist church. There's, there's an apostate one and then there's a biblical one breaking away. God bless them. I have some good friends in that movement. Thank you. I'm, I'm thankful to God that you're finally taking that standing and breaking that, getting out of that false church there. But but that's what happens. That's why the Methodist church died. That's why churches die. It's because we lose our first love and the evangelistic zeal that goes with it. I remember New Hope Community Church. It's 20 years. We've been going for 20 years now. I remember the first year and the first couple of years we were on fire. So many people accepting Christ. But every year, less and less and less and less until now, 20 years later, we need our fire lit. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm praying like, God, what can we do? We, we need the fire lit again or else we won't make it 20 more years. And this goes for every church. Every church. This, then he goes from the warning to some encouragement. The good news, bad news, the warning. And now we get the encouragement in 6 and 7. But you have this, verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We'll talk about that later. Uh, he gives them an attaboy. You don't like the Nicolaitans. When we get to the church of Pergamum, I'm going to go into depth on the Nicolaitans. But then he goes on to say, he who has an ear, <clears throat> let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. He says, I'm going to let you eat from the tree of life. What is he talking about? In Genesis 2, in Genesis 2, verse 9, we see that, and the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, talking about the Garden of Eden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the 
were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was in the middle of the Garden of Eden. But then we see in chapter 3, after sin happened, after Adam and Eve sinned, Chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And it is depraved. He had sinned. He was broken. He was depraved, as we know with the rest of the book Bible. And, and God didn't want us to live as zombies forever. So he, he didn't want us to live in that state. That's why we die and we have a, 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 we have a new life in heaven if we put our faith in Jesus. But he says, uh, so the Lord, uh, the God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed him on the east, placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. He, because of sin, we were no longer allowed to have, we, we were blocked to take from the tree of life and so that's when mankind began to die. From that time, we all die now. But, we see in Revelation, because of what Jesus has done, in Revelation 22.2, we see something amazing happen. Down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life so there again, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The uh, Let me see how far I want to read. Oh, verse 14. Verse 14 I wanted to read after that. No longer will there be any curse. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Those who have washed their robes in, in, in the blood of Jesus Christ been washed clean of our sin. What happened is Eden has been restored. The paradise of God, it says there in Revelation. The, the, uh, that's Persian for garden. Paradise is Persian garden and and it's it's the, the the garden of Eden has been restored the first Adam messed up the second Adam Jesus Christ restored it he paid for the sin of Adam he paid for our sin he gives us access back into the garden the ultimate garden the eternal garden up in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ that's why in Revelation 23:43 the thief on the cross says remember me when you come into your kingdom and and Jesus today says uh, you will be with with me today in paradise, in paradise, You're going to be in heaven, in paradise, in the garden of God, life forever with God. Do you have that life? Do you have that life? Do you have no fear of death anymore? That you don't have to fear death anymore or anything in this life ever again because you have put your faith in Jesus. You know that someday you will take hold of the tree of life in heaven, in the presence of Jesus. Are you living that life now? Eternal life doesn't start in heaven. It starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Are you living your life now to the fullest? Now, knowing you're going to live that life forever. Have you ever acted on the love of Jesus Christ? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you acted on the love of God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead. Have you acted on His love? Have you done that? You can do that now. We're going to pray in just a moment. Christians, are you already a Christian? How's your love life? How's your love life? Uh, I, how, how are you doing in your love with God? Your love of Jesus Christ. Our church, how are we doing as a church? How are we doing with our evangelistic zeal? And whatever church you're part of, how is the evangelistic zeal going? Like I said, we've been going for 20 years. Will we still be here in 20 years? Not if we don't get our evangelistic zeal again. And that goes for the, all of, every church in, in, in the USA today. We all are in the same place. As an individual... How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is Jesus calling us to remember, to repent, to return? What's our spiritual temperature? Are we witnessing? Are we sharing our faith? Are we excited? Are we looking for and praying for those chances? Are we excited about that? Do we, how do we need to return to our first love? It's so subtle, isn't it? I know with, with kids in the house, now we have a, another young one, uh, Laurel's turning four this week. But she's all, all about mom and dad. She loves us and she follows me everywhere and can't get enough of playing with me and being with me and, and be, hugging me and, and all, all the stuff little 
little girls do with with their dads when they're close with their fathers. And she's really attached to me. And sometimes I look and I see the older ones rolling their eyes, you know, rolling their eyes. Oh, Dad, this is ridiculous. I can't believe it, you know. And, you know, this is pathetic. She's just, you know, sucking up to you, you know. And, you know, I'm like, you were, and I always say, you were all like this little girl. So I'm holding her, hugging her, and, and she's hugging me tight. I go, you were all like this little girl. Look at her. You all were like this. Every one of you when you were little. But as you got older, all of a sudden you pulled away from dad. And then you know why they need teenagers didn't want anything to do with me. And then you got older and they, they do come back a lot. But, uh, but, uh, the, but they never are that little girl hold, hugging and holding you again. And I said, you were all like that. And, not, and now that you're bratty just like her, whenever they roll their eyes when she's bratty, I'm like, you were all just like this. All of you. You just have forgotten it, right? But, but all of us need to come back to that love for Jesus. The one that we started out with before we got older and jaded and, and distracted. We have to return to that. Let's pray. How is Jesus speaking to us? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Have we done that? We all do it. We all slip. We all cool off. But Jesus is calling us back now into intimacy with Him. Into that close relationship where, where He's the main thing we think about. And... In, 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 and serving Him and talking to Him all day long is just kind of like ongoing conversation and sharing other sharing the sharing the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of what He has done for us, sharing that with other people. Do we have that fire still that shows that our love for Jesus is is still just as strong? What is getting in the way? What what's what's blocking that? What's blocking that? What's distracting us? Maybe you've never acted on the love of Jesus. You've never put your faith in Him for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes on Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe you need to act on God's love. He gave His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin in our place to take our shame. That if we will believe in Him, put our faith in Him, cling to Him, trust in Him, we'll turn away from that sin and trust in Him and believe in Him, we can be given life, eternal life, that starts the moment we pray that prayer and give our life to Jesus and it goes on through all of eternity in heaven. We're going to be in the garden, the, the, the ultimate garden of Eden, the ultimate paradise with Jesus someday. You can have that promise and life, new life, right now if you'll put your faith in Jesus. A simple Prayer of faith. Jesus, I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. The garbage, the shame. I put my faith in you. I give my life to you. I'm trusting in you. Your death, your resurrection in you for life now and forever. Father, I pray that every one of us would know that we have new life in Jesus and every one of us would, would whatever is distract us, we would come back into that close relationship with your son Jesus. We would know the grace of Jesus and your love and fellowship in your spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.